When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 269, and today we are talking about books being released on July 21st, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello! Hey, how are ya? I'm good. I'm very warm. I took my pants off before we started recording today so that I didn't have to do it like while we were recording like last week. (laughs) No, I feel you. Always planning ahead. It's (laughs) so hot and recording without any fans or AC on can be a little bit rough. Yep. And like my office is where the sun hits at the end of the day, Like, like at the corner of the house. So my office is always the hottest room at the end of the day. And so here we are. And I'm just like, whew. But it's worth it. It is to talk about fun books. I would sit in a hot room and talk about fun books with you any week. Yeah. My boyfriend, usually I record when he's napping, but he is awake right now. But he's in the living room watching Survivor. He and I basically catch up on pop culture about 10 to 15 years after it's been popular. (laughs) So he's recently discovered Survivor and he's super into that. So he's been watching that. But like he does like talk to it like out loud a lot. So that's pretty funny. I just watched all of New Girl, which wasn't too long ago, but I had not seen before. And I've also been watching Palm Springs on Hulu. Have you heard of this? Oh, I've seen the trailer and I want to watch it so badly, but I haven't had the chance. (laughs) So I didn't know the first thing about it. Like, I just knew that I saw the thing come up on Hulu and I knew it was a movie with Andy Samberg. But it's a really, really dark romantic comedy with a twist. But I don't even want to, like, tell anybody because I watched it without knowing what it was about. And... Like, I think my boyfriend knew a little bit about it when he watched it with me the second time. And so it kind of like ruined it a little bit for him. But like I said, it's very dark <laughs> and it's very grown up. It's rated R, but I've watched it like four times now. Oh, my gosh. It's my new my new favorite thing to just put on and, and leave in the background. So I highly recommend it if anyone else wants to check it out. Definitely want to get to it this weekend. I saw the trailer the other night and I was like, yes, must make time. Yeah. I like to put movies on like while I'm doing stuff. For some reason, I can't listen to audiobooks when I'm doing things, maybe because I have to pay attention. But like when I put on movies that I've seen a million times, you know, I don't really have to pay attention. I just marked a very, very special anniversary the other day. I watched The Knights of Badassdom for the 200th time. Because <laughs> <laughs> after like the 40th or 50th time, I, like I started like really counting. Yeah, I love that movie too. So. I love that. I don't sleep much. I like to watch things over and over. And yet I read books more than once so infrequently. Was that an actual sentence that I just said? I don't know if that made any sense. (laughs) No, I followed you. (laughs) The heat is already melting my brain. Before it completely comes out my ears. Well, actually, my headphones might hold it in. Let's hear from our first sponsor. Okay. I am very excited about this book. It exceeded my wildest expectations, which were very high because I love this author. Uh, My first pick is Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. She is an 
an Irish author. She wrote a bunch of great novels, like The Vanishing of Esme Lennox and Instructions for a Heatwave. And she had an incredible, heartbreaking memoir that came out last year, maybe the year before, called I Am, I Am, I Am. She's just an amazing writer. But her novels have mostly been present day or like not too far in the past. And this one is about Shakespeare and his wife. So we're talking 500 years ago, 400 years ago. So I was like, ooh, historical fiction for Maggie O'Farrell. Like, what's this going to be like? The answer is spectacular. This is on the shortlist for the Women's Fiction Award, which doesn't get announced until September, but I'm pulling for this one. It just, oh, it's so good. So here's something I'll, first of all, admit, which I think I have admitted before, and, you know, don't at me, but I'm not that into Shakespeare. Like, I know the major plays. I'm just, I'm not crazy. Like, I don't get all excited about Shakespeare. I don't know why. but. So what I didn't know is that Hamnet is interchangeable with Hamlet. They're like the same name, like back in Shakespeare's day. They are basically the same name. And he had a son named Hamnet. He had twins, a girl and a boy, and, and the boy was Hamnet. And so this is the story of Shakespeare and his wife, who is called Anne Hathaway, but like experts think that she was actually Agnes because she is referred to as Agnes in her father's will. Um, so she goes by Agnes. And the way that O'Farrell does this novel is that Shakespeare is never named in this book. Like, as a person, he's referred to as Agnes's husband, he's referred to as the writer, but he's never, it's never like Shakespeare did this or Shakespeare said that. And it's, it gives it like this really interesting narration because the story is really about Agnes. It's about her and their relationship, her and also like her early years. And then it's about the death of their son, Hamnet, because when he was 11 years old, he contracted the bubonic plague and died. And this is fiction because not that much is known about about Shakespeare or his wife, especially his wife. Somehow, I find it, I was reading a little bit about her after, and I don't know how this is, but somehow, even though we barely know anything about her, historians say that she was pregnant when they got married and had the baby like six months later, like their, their first child. I was like, how do they know that? Like, where is that written? They don't even really know what her real name was or like what year Shakespeare was born, and yet they know that she was pregnant when... Like, I want to know how they know that. Anyway. I'm getting like distracted here, but so like I said, this is very much fiction because not much is known about them or their relationship. We know that um, Agnes had a wicked stepmother uh, and Shakespeare had a rotten childhood. He had a terrible father and they kind of find each other and have this like special bond and this really beautiful relationship, at least according to O'Farrell, like at the beginning. But this is like really a story of grief. I mean, because it's about the loss of his son. And this book is so moving and heart-wrenching and just, ugh, like you're going to just feel all the feelings when you're, when you're reading this. You know, I would be remiss, and I think everyone would be remiss, if we don't start considering Maggie O'Farrell one of the best contemporary authors working today. This book deserves to win the Women's Fiction Award. It deserves to win all kinds of awards. She is just a fantastic writer, and this book is not only really well written and beautiful, but also it's such an interesting subject. Like, you know, I learned some stuff that is real and some stuff that is not, but it was just so wonderful. So that is Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. Okay, so confession time. I knew of I am, I am, I am, and I did not know that she had all these other novels. So that sounds really fascinating. I'm gonna have to check out her fiction. Oh, yeah. 
the instructions for a heat wave is actually uh, takes place on the hottest day of the year in Ireland in 1976, which was my birthday, which is like two days from now. It was the day that I was born. So the ah. fun, dorky fact. <laughs> That's so cool. Happy early birthday. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, okay, I'm going to keep going with this whole Irish author and historical fiction train because my first pick is The Pole of the Stars by Emma Donahue. And this one's kind of notable because this book was not supposed to come out, I think, until like later this year or early next year. But when the whole COVID-19 thing broke out, they actually um, moved this publication date up and like it went through production in something insane, like four months, which for publishing is really, really, really fast. And the reason that they moved it up is because it's actually set during the 1918 pandemic. So if you're so totally over pandemic stories, I guess just like skip ahead a little bit. But if you're not, or if you're just up for like a really great historical novel, keep listening. So The Pull of the Stars is about this nurse named Julia Powell, and she is working in a hospital in Dublin, and it's uh, October 1918, and she's just, like, so completely overwhelmed. Uh, She is working on a special sort of makeshift ward for expectant mothers who have influenza, because they don't really know a whole lot about how influenza affects um, pregnant women, but they do know that, like, it's not great, so they need extra sort of care and supervision. But because the hospital is just so overwhelmed by all these cases, like, she only has a few patients, but they are, like, really sick and they she needs some help. And so she's begging for help because she just doesn't have enough hands. And they're so short-staffed that they actually say, no, we can't give you another nurse. But here is this untrained volunteer named Bridie, and she's a bit younger than Julia, and she doesn't have a formal education, but she's really eager and willing to learn. And she just kind of like walks in off the street and she's like, okay, I'm here to help. Tell me what you need. So Julia's kind of like, what the heck? Like this one, this person doesn't know anything about how to actually care for people, but they kind of make do the best they can. And they're working these really, really long, hard days to keep their patients, you know, safe and comfortable and monitoring all of their symptoms and also, you know, delivering babies and watching fevers. And during the midst of this work, their paths cross with Dr. Lin, who is a female physician and who is, by the way, a real person that existed in history that Emma Donahue kind of pulled into this novel as a character, which I think is always really interesting when authors do that, especially when it comes to, you know, not necessarily super famous people, but like real people who we know just enough about uh, to know like the trajectory of their lives. But maybe there's not so much known that you can kind of still make up details about who their personalities um, in fiction. So Dr. Lin is this female doctor, which is still kind of rare in 1918, although not completely unheard of. 
And Julia actually is a little skeptical of her at first because she's so different from the other doctors that she knows. Um, But she turns out to really like her because she finds Dr. Lin to be a little bit more compassionate and reasonable than the male doctors who don't really know a lot about like childbirth and who sometimes kind of treat the women like they are like livestock giving birth, not like actual human beings. But the only hitch is that Dr. Lin is rumored to be one of the sort of of quote-unquote Irish rebels. She's wanted by the British government for her part in the Easter Rebellion two years earlier. So Julia and Bridie are trying to take care of their patients, and they really want Dr. Lynn to kind of stick around because she's a really good doctor, even though their politics don't mesh. But then they kind of catch word that she has a warrant for her arrest out on her. So this book is set over the course of three very intense and tumultuous days in the hospital. You know, the language is just really gorgeous. Like, this is a beautifully written story. I think that the insight into this very, very specific time of the influenza epidemic, pandemic, really, especially in, like, October, November, that was, like, the most intense time of the pandemic It's just very fascinating. I was just utterly transported and on the edge of my seat because it's just so suspenseful. Major content warning if you can't handle depictions of illness, childbirth, or mother or infant mortality, because unfortunately, you get all of that in this book. But if those aren't deal breakers for you, I think you will love this heartbreaking, but I think ultimately uplifting book. And because it is an Emma Donahue book, I can confirm that yes, there is some queer representation here, but I won't tell you exactly how or what. So again, that is The Pull of the Stars by Emma Donahue. When the pandemic started, books about the plague, both fiction and nonfiction, were huge. They were just selling like crazy. So this book got bumped up from from next year. Like, they're like, well, you know, everyone's interested in this. But now, you know, I wonder, like, it's Emma Donahue, so she's going to sell and it's going to be amazing. But, like, I wonder if, like, now that it's been going on a lot longer than we were told it was going to and we were expecting, if people are still interested in reading about it. And publishing is taking, like, a huge chance that people are going to be interested in, you know, the COVID virus, you know, next year. Because For when sure. you read the deals every day, there are so many books about COVID coming, about both fiction and nonfiction. Like Sherry Fink, who wrote Five Days of Memorial about the hospital during Hurricane Katrina, she has a nonfiction book coming out about it next year. And just like every day when I'm reading through the deals now, there's two or three or four books about it. And I'm like, they better hope that people still want to read about it around this time next year when these books are coming out because it's been going on for a long time now. <laughs> yes, I th- I do feel like there's going to be a point where, you know, people are just like, I don't care if this is like completely in my wheelhouse. I can't read about another pandemic novel or a, I'm just I'm so oversaturated. I'll be curious to see how well received this book was. I, I admit that when I picked it up, I was not turned off by the fact that it was about a pandemic, maybe partly because it was influenza in 1918. And it's you know, just far enough removed from like what's going on right now. But I also I've been pretty fortunate and insulated from a lot of, you know, the realities because I work from home and I, I'm just lucky that way. So yeah, I don't know. But I think that this is, you know, definitely a really great book for people who can handle this. I know that I'm going to give it to my mother for her birthday because she's a nurse and I think she'd really like it. But yes, that's why I wanted to make sure to just, you know, heads up about the pandemic, heads up about you know, there's death in this. So no shame in skipping it for now. 
I'm interested to read it. I also, like, her book last year, I don't, it slid right under the radar. Like, it came out, it was called Akin, and I feel like I don't know a single person who read it. And oh, yeah. I plan to read it someday, and I plan to read this one. But I'm just very curious. Like, you know, she's a big deal. She's an amazing writer. And I just feel like that one last year was just, did not seem to make anybody's list. Like, nobody seemed to have known that it came out. That one I completely missed as well. Like I, I, you actually reminded me of that book because I thought her her last one was the wonder. Yeah, it's see, nobody remembered that it came out. It's so strange to me, like how that happens sometimes. Yeah, she's an incredible writer. I've gone back and I've read like most of her early work, but mm-hmm. I have not read some of like her her mid career work. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I definitely now you're reminding me that I have more Emma Donahue to read, which is exciting. It is exciting. I'm going to change things up and recommend a Banana Pants summer thriller. It is He Started It by Samantha Downing. I recommended her first thriller, I think it was last year, called My Lovely Wife, which was just an over-the-top Banana Pants, murdery, fun book. And this one is kind of more of the same. It's a great read for this summer. It's perfect. It's about the Morgan siblings, Eddie, Beth, and Portia. They are recreating a road trip that they took with their granddad when they were younger. They were living at home with their parents and their parents were not getting along and their granddad showed up and said, come on kids, let's take a road trip and go see some stuff. It wasn't the greatest, you know, road trips are not always that fun, especially when you're young and you're stuck in the car. But now they're recreating this road trip with their granddad, only this time he's in the trunk. But he's dead. He has been cremated. His ashes are in a box in the trunk. And in order to collect their inheritance, they first must recreate their famous road trip. So you have Eddie. He's the oldest. He's he's driving at the beginning of this book. He's with his wife. Um, You have Beth. She's the middle child. She's sitting in the middle of the vehicle uh, with her husband, Felix. And then you have Portia, who is the youngest. She's, you get the idea that she's like acts out a little bit more. She's sitting in the back and they're, you know, brothers and sisters and they don't always get along. And now you're like stuck in this car being forced to do this thing in order to get some money. And there is one major difference about this trip, but I can't tell you besides the fact that the grandfather has passed away and his ashes in the back. But I can't tell you what it is because I've read a lot of reviews of this after I read it and it kind of spoils it, I think. There is a major difference about this new trip, but I can't tell you what that is. I will just tell you that Eddie's wife and Beth's husband do not know this big secret that the Morgan siblings have. They're awful people. That is not a secret. Now they're stuck in a vehicle together recounting, you know, past, you know, hurts and just being annoyed and hot and you know, like picking horrible motels to stay at. And also there is a truck following them. So what does the truck want? Well, the truck doesn't want anything. What does the person driving the truck want? And it's just, it's just really fun. It's like I said, really over the top. Uh, If car trips are a nightmare for you, then, you know, that is definitely uh something that you might enjoy about this book because they just sound like a bad idea most times Uh, and then being stuck with like your family like forget it you know except now like your family can drink alcohol and they have you know credit cards and licenses and kids uh, and more baggage than you could ever fit in your trunk it's just really fun it is called he started it by samantha downing i have a copy of that book somewhere i can't wait to read it and i think that the cover is hilarious Yeah, the cover is wild. (laughs) It is great. (laughs) 
Okay, so my next pick is a dark fantasy called The Year of the Witching by Alexis Henderson. So this fantasy world is kind of set in like a pseudo-historical puritan-esque world where there is a religion and it's not christianity but it's obviously modeled somewhat after the darker less admirable aspects of christianity so basically they believe that there's like the father who is all light and goodness and everything wonderful about the world and then there's the mother who is you know night evil darkness everything bad and so in this community they are led by the prophet who is like this physical manifestation of the father and it's his job to like guide his flock away from the dark forces of the night um which is like darkness and witchcraft so as you can imagine this society is rather patriarchal they practice polygamy, so, like, the men in this um, society can have, like, almost as many wives as the prophet deems, you know, fitting, which is, you know, not not the greatest for the women. So the protagonist is a young woman named Emmanuel, whose family is living in disgrace because before she was born, her mother got pregnant with her out of wedlock with somebody who was not approved by the prophet or her family. And uh, she also got pregnant out of wedlock and she was actually engaged to become the prophet's newest wife. So this was like a huge misstep, big no-no. And she manages to survive her pregnancy um, and she gives birth to Emmanuel. And then she tried to murder the prophet and then she was caught. So Emmanuel's family is just like lived in disgrace her entire life because of what her mom did before she was born. And she has kind of tried to be like the good daughter and this good woman in this very rigid society. But she also kind of knows that she's a bit of an outsider because of her past and because she doesn't like wholesale buy into everything that the prophet says. But she has to keep that a secret. So the story really kind of picks up when her best friend becomes the prophet's newest wife and she kind of feels like she's left behind and there is this sort of misadventure where she ends up wandering into a forbidden woods because it's been told like that's where the witches are and you know you must always stay out of the woods and she doesn't really believe that there are actual witches in there but um she also knows well enough to like usually stay away but today she has no choice she ends up going into the woods And lo and behold, she encounters two witches who freak her out. And she is really just like, whoa, what is happening? I don't want to believe this is real. And these two witches don't really say much to her, but they give her a journal. And she takes it and she realizes that this journal actually belonged to her mother. And it's full of, you know, sketches and really, you know, puzzling entries that she doesn't really quite understand. So she's kind of investigating this, and then not very long after that, plagues began befalling her community and her land. And she realizes that her trip into the woods inadvertently set off these plagues. And so she's still kind of freaking out, and, you know, people are really suffering, and she's like, I want to end this. And so she goes back into the woods to try to end it, and she ends up sort of inadvertently teaming up with the prophet's heir to end the plague. 
And she's thinking, you know, she's going to do this and it's going to be, you know, well, everything will go back to normal. But what she doesn't realize is that, like, this is not the only plague. It's just the first of many. And by kind of trying to stop them, she's probably sort of playing into her own darker destiny. So this is a really, like I said, it's kind of a darker witchy fantasy, but it's really awesome if you like witchcraft, if you like dystopians, um, if you kind of have always been curious about like, you know, the, the Salem witch trial stories and witches and Puritans. It's the, like I said, this is fantasy, so it's not exactly that, but it's kind of like adjacent to that. Um, so that is The Year of the Witching by Alexis Henderson. And I can already tell you that I've heard that there's going to be a sequel. So that's exciting if you like that type of thing. That is exciting. I would also add there's some animal death. Yeah. So heads up for that. It's dark. Like right at the very beginning, like right off the bat. <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, that was a drag. <laughs> yes. Thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that I'm very sensitive about that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's like, you know, do whatever you want with all the people. But when it comes to animals, I'm like, no. <laughs> I know. Which I find like a lot of people are like that. So I just wanted to mention that. But I did really enjoy. I did really enjoy it. So my next pick is another completely different book from what we've been talking about. It is The Loneliness of the Long Distance Cartoonist by Adrian Tomina. Adrian Tomina is an award-winning writer and illustrator. He's done many graphic novels, really great stuff. Optic Nerve, I think, is one of them. And this is his most personal work. This is a memoir which is told in little vignettes uh, throughout his life which is basically highlights of his career and his life, but told through his insecurities, his embarrassments, slights, interactions like that went horribly wrong from like when he was a child and he moved to a new school and he got teased mercilessly for liking comic books to bad reviews, like reading bad reviews of his stuff and being like, oh, that's totally fine. And then crying himself to sleep confrontations with other writers who don't like his work or, you know, accuse him of ripping off other artists, empty signings, you know, being like embarrassed sitting in a bookstore where nobody shows up to your reading. And there's an incident like in his daughter's classroom where he goes to her school, her elementary school, to be like, you know, I'm Nora's dad and I'm super cool. And the kids are like less than impressed. So he starts drawing things like a poop emoji and, you know, like a guy breaking wind. And then the teacher, like after his event, like sends a thing around to the parents saying like, we're really sorry. We didn't know that that was going to happen. And we'll like more closely examine who we allow into the classroom after. It's just like really funny because he's like, I was just trying to make them laugh. And then he has a health scare, which sort of gives him perspective on his life. This book spoke to me because he seems to frame a lot of his life and his past in sort of like a negative perspective, a lot of his the things that he thinks of are negative memories, which I identify with, you know, and he's and he's a worrier and just worries about everything all the time and just, you know, obsesses over like what went wrong and not what went right, which is something that really, you know, like that one little thing that someone said as opposed to like the, the larger picture. Uh, and, you know, it's also a look at like he is Asian. It's the outright racism that he has experienced from other writers to just, you know, general jerkiness. There's a, a scene where he's at a banquet. He's he's up for this a major award and Frank Miller is reading the names of the the nominees and Frank Miller is like, what's this last name? Adrian what? Like I'm just not even gonna say it. Like, which is just such a jerk move. 
Um, his last name is Tomina. It is spelled T-O-M-I-N-E. So like throughout the book, you like people keep saying his name, like all these people ways, like, like Tomine and Tomina and like, you know, it's so that's like something that he experiences all the time. And just like sometimes just like a general lack of awareness. You know, we all do it. Like we sometimes just say things without thinking about it. Like for like one example, he goes to BEA and he uh, he goes up to one of the people, um, one of the volunteers and says, you know, I'm here for my signing. And they're like, oh, and they're like, oh, no, you're in the wrong spot. This is like the prime stage for the big stars. Like you're sitting way back here, you know, and it's like, you don't need to like point that out to somebody, <laughs> you know, just stuff like that, you know. But it's I just found it really lovely. His illustrations are in black and white. They're very crisp and clean. The book itself looks like a moleskin journal and the pages look like graph paper. And I just I really enjoyed it. And I love Drawn and Quarterly, the publisher that he works with. Everything that they do is just so interesting to me. So this is The Loneliness of the Long Distance Cartoonist. And it's by Adrian Tomina. Excellent. (gasps) It's time for another sponsor. Okay, now let's hear about what you've got next. So my next pick is a really fun middle grade novel. If you like the Vanderbeeker series by uh, book writer Karina Young Glazer. And it also kind of reminds me a touch of Roald Dahl's books. Um, It is The Mysterious Messenger by Gilbert Ford. And I feel like full disclosure, Gilbert is somebody that I know from graduate school. We were at um, Vermont College of Fine Arts uh, at the same time where we were getting our MFAs in writing for children and young adults. And like this one's kind of sort of special to me because I was actually in a workshop with him when he shared the very first chapter of this book. Um, So yeah, it is really cool to read it now in book form. So The Mysterious Messenger is about Maria, who is the daughter of a fake psychic in Brooklyn, who, along with their buildings, super sort of cons bereaved people out of money and their valuables by pretending to get in touch with their deceased relatives. So it's kind of shady. And Maria is this unwilling accomplice in all of this. She knows what her mom is doing is wrong. But you know, she is pretty isolated. She doesn't know anybody else. Um, She just kind of has to, you know, endure it. Um, So it kind of reminds me of like Matilda. But she has a pretty big secret of her own, and that is that she can actually talk to ghosts, unlike her mother. So Maria has this friend who's a ghost named Edward, and he doesn't really, you know, speak to her directly, but she can, like, feel his, like, presence because the room will get colder, and, you know, she can kind of just, like, feel him wanting to communicate with her. So then she'll pick up a pen or pencil and a piece of paper, and then he will, like, through her write her notes and he kind of like speaks in this sort of sing-songy rhyme poetry almost so he's her only friend really and one day while they are you know conning this poor widow out of her engagement ring edward kind of comes in and he writes this note and he wants maria to intervene and basically you know go tell the widow like you know hey this is this isn't really real and maria is super nervous because she's never gone against her mother on anything 
So Edward kind of writes her this poem and he's like, you know, you've got to go give this to the widow. And so she follows her home one day and she she tells this widow everything she knows um, that Edward has communicated. And long story short, she ends up going on this treasure hunt for some long hidden treasure. She doesn't know what the treasure is that takes her through a bunch of famous New York City landmarks and kind of has her brushing up against the history of some famous New York City artists of the 20th century. So she's just on this scavenger hunt across the city. That's kind of how she actually makes her first real human friend. So this is a really fun book. And one really cool aspect of it is that Gilbert is also an artist. He has done many picture books. He's both written and illustrated his own picture books, and he's illustrated other people's picture books. He's also illustrated many a middle grade uh, book cover. I'm sure that, you know, if you see his style, you'll probably be like, oh, yes, that looks very familiar. He's, you know, illustrated the pseudonymous Bosch covers, the Natalie Lloyd some of her middle grade covers, Sheila Turnage's covers, just a ton. So Gilbert actually illustrates the cover and he has really fun illustrations on the inside. Um, it's just a really delightful, very fun middle grade novel. And this is his middle grade debut novel, but I think he's got another one coming out next year too. I'm really excited. So I would definitely say this is for maybe like the younger middle grade set, uh, but it's really clever and uh, just a lot of fun. So that's The Mysterious Messenger by Gilbert Ford. Okay, my last pick is actually a twofer. I do, before I start talking about the first one, I do want to mention that it is a true crime novel. And so if you have little pictures around or you are sensitive to hearing about actual crime, um, you might want to skip the first half of my recommendation uh, because it is truly upsetting. The book I read is called The Perfect Father, The True Story of Chris Watts, His All-American Family, and a Shocking Murder by John Glatt. And if you are in the mood for just a straight-up and rule kind of true crime book, which is not so much like, uh, you know, involves the author, but just like a discussion of what happened, this is a really great one. I've been watching the documentary of I'll Be Gone in the Dark on HBO lately and just like crying the whole time because it's so sad. But it, that book is so interesting because of Michelle McNamara's involvement in investigating the crime. This is just a look at what happened. This is about Chris and Shannon Watts. They were, by all accounts, the perfect couple. Like, they were the epitome of that family that you hear about, where she was, like, really outgoing and ambitious, and she used social media all the time and just posted all the time about their perfect lives. They had a big house and a fancy car and money, and they were just living the American dream. Chris Watts was very quiet. Like, it's amazing when you hear these interviews with their neighbors and their friends and their coworkers. They all say almost exact same things. Like, they were a great team because she was so outgoing and he was so quiet. They're always just like, he was very quiet and he never said anything. And they just seem so in love. And that's what they said. Like, everybody says the same thing. And, you know, they they seemed, by all accounts, the perfect couple, but they were actually drowning in debt. And there were other things going on. And Shannon was working as, like, she, she was on social media. She was pushing Thrive, which was, like, this weight loss product. And she was, like, running her social media account. And she was running it for her husband. And, you know, she was actually making money at it, which is not something that usually happens with these kinds of these kinds of sales, but she was like their top seller. And then in 2018, Chris murdered Shannon. She was like four months pregnant. 
as well as their two little girls. And everyone was like, how could this possibly happen? They were perfect. And then you hear about like what their life was really like and you know what was going on beside, behind the scenes in his life. Then they talked to the family and it was just, it's devastating. It was a devastating read, but it was, you know, so interesting to, you know, hear the stories of like, you know, when people say like, these are the last people you would ever think this would happen to, that this is the personification of that saying that people always say. Uh, So this one is The Perfect Father by John Glatt. The other book I want to mention today is not dark. It is lots of fun. I'm only doing it like a little push for it because. It is The Unidentified Mythical Monsters, Alien Encounters, and Our Obsession with the Unexplained by Colin Dickey. Colin Dickey is a very close friend of mine, so I wanted, you know, full disclosures. But we actually met because I wrote a review of one of his books, and I, I think I mentioned, like, I would have beat him up in school, and also that I wanted to open his skull and look at his brain, and he reached out to me, and I was like, that's a cool <laughs> guy, like, you know, and, and we became good friends. So I did enjoy his writing before we became friends, but I had to mention it because it's so interesting it's about bigfoot and ufos and conspiracies and like his last book about ghosts you know it doesn't fall down on one side or the other like do they exist or don't they exist you know and this is the same thing like you know does bigfoot exist doesn't he exist um and i actually had the pleasure of going to the world's only cryptozoology museum which is actually located here in maine Uh, i got to go with colin Which was kind of like going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with Bruce Springsteen. I mean, he was in his element while he was uh, researching this book, which was really cool. And it's also fun because I think last week, last was it last week? I recommended The Cold Vanish, which is about people who vanish in national parks in North America. And there's lots of talk about Bigfoot there. So it's like a Bigfoot summer. I've also been, I just watched all of them. We Bear Bears, which the title still perplexes me, but Bigfoot (laughs) is a character in that too. So this is the summer of Bigfoot for me. But getting back to Colin. He's cool. This book is really interesting and fun. Um, Whether you believe in this kind of stuff or not, whether you believe in some things, you know, if you believe in Bigfoot, but you don't believe in the Loch Ness Monster or vice versa, or you don't believe in any of it, it's still very interesting. So that is The Unidentified Mythical Monsters, Alien Encounters, and Our Obsession with the Unexplained by Colin Dickey. Okay. Awesome. So my last pick is something light and fun for you. It is 10 Things I Hate About Pinky by Sandhya Menon. And I definitely talked, I think, about her other release this year on another episode of All the Books. I just love everything she does. It's so happy making. So this is the third book in the When Dimple Met Rishi universe, and it was delayed due to COVID, but now it's out. So huzzah. And this is just a really fun, lighthearted summer romance. And I immediately loved it before I even picked it up because her titles in this little trilogy are all based off of like classic rom-coms and this one is based off of the title or the rom-com 10 things i hate about you not the story but the title is kind of taken from 10 things i hate about you which is one of my favorite like rom-coms but i think also like 90s movies it's one of my favorite movies ever let's just say that so 10 things i hate about pinky is about uh pinky who is friends with ash and sweetie from there's something about sweetie and ash is in this book a little bit at the beginning so you get to see him right off the bat Pinky is somebody who always has like some sort of cause or something to kind of fight for and something to do and to rally around and to fundraise for. But all of her causes are maybe just like a little ridiculous sounding. So like she finds money to 
like rescue raccoons because raccoons need, you know, veterinary care. And then she raises money for former famous bands who are now living on the streets and are homeless. So she just, she really does believe in a lot of her causes and she knows they're a little bit um, offbeat, but she also enjoys getting a rise out of her parents, particularly her mom, who is this very, very proper corporate lawyer and is just like utterly exasperated by Pinky. Like she doesn't understand why Pinky can't just be like, you know, uh, I don't know how to say this, but like a conventional do-gooder who like raises money for Habitat for Humanity and works at soup kitchens. Like she always um, is asking Pinky like why she's so obsessed with her kind of off-the-wall causes. And Pinky kind of likes to annoy her mom a little bit. She she likes to push those buttons. So the hero of this story is Samir. And Samir is this very, very organized guy who's kind of like Pinky's frenemy. Like, he's more friends with Ash than he is with Pinky. Um, and he is the child of a single mom who has breast cancer. And his mom is, you know, in remission and doing really, really well. But because it's just been the two of them and his mom is sick a lot of the time, his mom's really, really just she really wants him to be close. She is very protective of Samir. And Samir's homeschooled, but he finally gets like this very, very elite internship in Washington, D.C. over the summer. And he's from um, the Bay Area. And so he goes to Washington, D.C. And then like at the very last minute, the internship falls through in kind of like this unbelievable fluke. And Samir's like, oh, my gosh, I guess I have to like go back to San Francisco. And he's so bummed about it. Um, well, at the same time, Pinky and her family are spending time in their family's um, summer house in Cape Cod. And Pinky has just kind of found herself in um, sort of a tight spot where she's blamed for something she didn't do. And she kind of fibs a bit and tells her mom that, you know, she has this really wonderful boyfriend who's like very, you know, proper and he's somebody that her mom would actually approve of. Only it's not true. There's no boyfriend. So Pinky thinks at the last minute, okay, how to, you know, basically keep up this ruse. She hears about Samir's internship falling through and she invites Samir to come stay with her and her family at their summer house and pretend to be her boyfriend. And in exchange, she'll help him get another law internship with her mom, who's a lawyer. So obviously, this is like a messy, messy sort of situation where, of course, so many things can and kind of do go wrong. And Pinky and Smear are like always butting heads. And it's really hard for them to really kind of see like this happy, you know, wonderful and love couple when they are also kind of bantering and sniping at each other on the sidelines. But as they kind of go through the motions, they find that despite the fact that they seem to be opposites, like there are a lot of reasons that they find themselves attracted to one another. So this is just really another good, great rom-com from a rom-com queen. And I think it's a really good one if you, you know, still want to enjoy some last bits of summer with a fun, happy romance. And I just found out today, I don't know if you saw this, Liberty, that there's the, yeah, the Netflix India adaptation of When Dimple Met Rishi, which will be coming to Netflix worldwide sometime later this year. So that's exciting. It is. And she has her first adult rom-com novel coming next year, which is exciting. Related. I just watched 10 Things I Hate About You for the first time. Oh, yeah? 
the spring. I had never seen it before. So I watched it and I was watching it. I was like, what is this high school that they are going to? This looks like a hotel. This looks like a castle. Like this is the most ridiculous building. This isn't a school. And it's like the building. And then you see like Letters to Cleo standing on it at the end of the film. And I was like, this building is ridiculous. What is this building? Turns out I was right and wrong. It was a former hotel and it is a school. It's an actual school in Seattle. It's a high school. It looks like amazing. Yeah. My, so my cousin lives in Tacoma and um, he lives not very far away from this place. Oh, maybe it's in Tacoma then. It's, it's in Tacoma. Yes. And okay. it is like really cool. I have not seen it myself, but when some of my cousins went to go visit him, they were posting photos on Instagram of them like going to the school. You can see it in the background. Like they go to the field where Heath Ledger sings and the bleachers. And I was like, oh my gosh, I hate you guys so much. I wish I was there because uh, I love <laughs> this movie so, so much. I don't know what it is. It's just, it's been my favorite since I probably saw it in, you know, the early 2000s. So it's so great. Yeah, well, it just, I'm in love with the building. <laughs> so those are books. Those are books that we read and recommended. That is fun. Those are new books. I'm so wound up today. It might be the heat. So what are you going to read next? So I love Australian literature, like a lot, a lot. Like I think Australian YA is some of my favorites. And unfortunately, a lot of Australian literature doesn't always make its way to the U.S. I think in part because the U.S. publishing market is so saturated with like United States books. So I sometimes have to order my books from Australia. And I ordered uh, The Good Turn by Darvlo McTiernan which is the third book in her Cormac Riley series, mystery series. The first two books are actually published here um, by Penguin. Um, it's The Ruin and The Scholar, and I love them so much, but I don't know if this third book, which has been out for a little while in Australia, is ever going to make its way here. So I finally caved. I couldn't wait any longer. I ordered it. It's coming tomorrow in the mail. I'm going to read it first thing. Like I'm going to rip the package open and just start reading. I'm very excited. I am also eagerly awaiting something in the mail. I'm supposed to be getting the new Allie Brosh in the mail tomorrow, Ooh. which everyone has been waiting for a long time because Hyperbole and a Half came out many, many years ago. I'm very excited about that. In the meantime, I am reading uh, Sing Backwards and Weep by Mark Lanigan. I, I somehow missed that this book came out a few months ago. Uh, Mark Lanigan was the lead singer of the band Screaming Trees. They were an amazing grunge band from the early 1990s. Sweet Oblivion is one of the greatest albums, and their song Nearly Lost You, which most people know from the single soundtrack, is one of the greatest songs I still think to this day. I listen to it all the time still. Um, and this is about how he went from being the lead singer of this great rock band and being in uh, Queens of the Stone Age after Screaming Trees broke up to uh, living on the streets and selling drugs. And I just, I can't wait to read it because I just love their the Screaming Trees so much and I love his music and it's supposed to be really, really great. So I'm looking forward to that. And that is it for us today. What a wild bunch of books. We got Bigfoot. We got, you know, Shakespeare, plagues, all kinds of stuff. I guess the, the second two kind of go together. The, you know, yeah, Shakespeare and plagues. It's usually like they're usually around at the same time, but they were all really cool. So uh, thank you to our sponsors today. Thank you to our amazing audio editor, Jen Zink. If you want to reach us, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online 
Tirza hangs out on Twitter at Tirza Price. That's T-I-R-Z-A-H-P-R-I-C-E. You can find me on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today or more books in general, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.